Hey, good morning, everybody. Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development. And it is our privilege to have with us Burchak Urkan, who is in Ankara, who's an associate professor in disaster response and resilience and also a special advisor to the Prime Minister. Good morning, Burchak. Good to see you. Hello, good morning. Uh, it's p.m. in Turkey, so 7 p.m. But good to see you. Good morning to you. And thank you for the invitation. Oh, great to have you here. Now, I understand you've actually been to New Zealand. I've, I've been there, yes, to 2011. Yeah, wow. It was a very fantastic journey. So we can and, do it uh, next time with our daughter, hopefully. Lovely. Hey, look, why don't you tell us, um, you've had quite an interesting journey in how you got into resilience from being into statistics and then moving into resilience and response. Why don't you tell us about your journey? Okay, thank you. Um, I'm a statistician by first degree. My undergraduate graduation was a long time ago, 1999. Uh, that was when, when I had my BSc. Then I was, because Turkey is a multi-hazard country and very similar to New, New Zealand, both countries are multi-hazard countries. We suffer quite often with the earthquakes and the devastating ones, especially play a milestone role in disastrous management uh, policies in Turkey. So I'm a 1999 graduate, so 1999, 17th August, we had the Marmara earthquake, the most devastating one, uh, magnitude 7.4 in, in Marmara region, which is the industrial heartland of the country. So that became a milestone in research, in development, in policymaking, in every everything in Turkish disaster, management, disaster risk management system. So I started my master's in statistics department at Middle East Technical University in Ankara. And then my, I moved to the United Kingdom to do my master's uh, with a government scholarship. In, and I, I, I studied my master's and my uh, dissertation was about the regression analysis of the earthquake losses in Turkey. So I continued my PhD at London School of Economics. Uh, and again, I was interested in the earthquake data. This time, I modeled the earthquake insurance claims from a statistician point of view. But the last chapter of my PhD thesis was disaster risk management because it was really, uh, I was doing research. So research is the kickoff of, of my life. It is the purpose of my life. And during the research, I was very much pulled into how to help the humanity, how to contribute to the, to the sustainable development of the earth we share all together. And uh, here I am. So from statistics, I, mer I merged into disaster risk management and past 22 years, wherever I go, wherever I talk at conferences or seminars or meetings, people used to ask me why statistics and how, how on earth you, you, you're a statistician, but you work on disaster risk management, policy development, uh, disaster risk reduction, resilience, etc. And I said, okay, uh, that, is the, that is the nicest point. And some of, some of my colleagues call it like a good cherry mix because if you don't have data, any information about the past, how can you make any policy forecasting or prediction for future? So you make data talk to you and you turn data into policy. So that, that is an ongoing sustainable cycle. That's where I try to contribute to. That's really interesting. So what have you seen? What have you seen as the impact of using data and statistics on reforming policy? Yes, um, post 2015. Okay, um, every disaster scientist. I should I should name name my colleagues and myself as disaster scientists. Every disaster scientist 
followed up the Yokohama strategy back from 1994-2005 uh, Kyogo Framework for Action, which was the Bible of the disaster risk management studies in the world at that time. But with the March 2011 Tohoku earthquake that's happened in Japan, everything changed. So everything changes in life, nothing is stable. So everything, the only unchanged thing is the change itself. So 2015 is the Sendai Framework for Disaster Risk Reduction. Introduction to the international community, so 175 plus some countries, signatory countries agreed on it. So And that is valid until 2030. So post-2015 until 2030, in line with the Sustainable Development Goal Agenda of the UN, which is again targets 2030 uh, as a timeline. So within that work frame, uh, in Sendai, there is a big component of uh, monitoring the policies suggested. So monitoring and evaluation is directly linked with statistical data. And uh, there is disaster informatics. So one, one aim is to build disaster loss databases for countries who suffer from disasters so that you can have some estimation for the future, so that you can get prepared, so that you can respond quickly and you can recover faster. And so for those of us who are not statistics people, <laughs> which is like me, so what sort, of what sort of data are you actually looking at and working with? Okay, age. Okay, you can talk, you, you will be interested in some variables that I can name like age, gender, number of buildings, the distance, okay. the fault line, the precipitation rate, everything you can think of comes as a variable to a statistician to use in analysis and that helps with the policy making and decision process. Hmm. And so what about the change in technology that you've seen over the last decade? How's that impacted what you do? Yes, that is huge. Artificial intelligence, AI, all this data technologies, especially during the COVID-19 with this, this test and trace, track systems, uh, responding very quickly, the vaccination rates, the number of vaccines distributed, the data we follow, especially I will focus on COVID-19 because I'm doing consultancy to the World Bank for Turkey's pandemic preparedness and response project. And we watch the global cases as well. So we keep the, we track data, yes? And all of us keep data. We look which country has the rate, which number of the vaccination rate, when, how, how many, what is the age rate, efficiency rate of the different vaccines are used. So everything is linked with data. So you, when you people see the numbers, say 25% of the population, as an example, has been vaccinated, that, that means something to people. So if it's above 60%, you get the uh, community immunity, herd immunity. That, is, that makes a meaning. That, that's a meaning to people. So that's how when you mention sorry when you mention artificial intelligence mm. how is that being used is it being used for prediction or uh, okay so um artificial i'm not an expert on artificial intelligence i'm not an engineer software person but the 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 way that people disaster scientists we cannot manage any disaster without any technology so watching this, having the satellite images, the use of drones to have the loss estimate as a visual visualization, or the number of uh, supply and chain, the logistics, everything needs some technology. Again, with COVID-19, we, we people track who has the who has the plus positive case, who is not a positive case. So 
technologies everywhere, not just like AI, specific but overall broad perspective, we can say technology. We can't manage any crisis or disaster or emergency without having any technology. But mm. human factors, I think, is crucial. We can't let 100% technology because they don't have the feelings and emotions, but we can't have everything manual as well. So there needs to be a very balanced uh, match of both together. Birchuk, one of the interesting things about looking at your profile and speaking with you is that you've, you've been into statistics and then made this um, really prominent move into advising the Prime Minister around disaster management and resilience. And stakeholder management has become something that's very important to you. Why don't you tell us about stakeholder management? Okay, thank you. That's another crucial, crucial point in uh, disaster risk management and preparation for every country across the globe because nobody can manage disaster risks we need to identify risks we need to understand risks so when you identify and understand risk you can develop proper preparedness mechanisms and that takes you to the safer and quick response and quicker recovery so we cannot we cannot leave any we cannot do it like just one national government we cannot do it just like single alone local government we cannot succeed it as one individual person private. It is not the job of the academicians only. It's not the private sector only. So when I name those stakeholders, everybody needs to work together, act together, um, consult to each other together. So collaboration, cooperation, communication, uh, good 3C rule maybe. So that, that is 100% required because it is the part of you. Remember there was a cartoon called Voltron with the robots. So they need to merge together, get together so they can achieve what they want to target. And that is where which stay, good stakeholder management, sustainable stakeholder management takes us to good resilience, robust resilience maybe we can name. I can imagine dealing with different stakeholders who have different agendas or different motivations can yeah. be quite challenging. So how can you do that successfully manage stakeholders? Okay, it's not an easy job. Uh, where there's a human interaction, it's not an easy job because people have different ideas, different needs, different requirements, different thoughts. But but uh, that is what we call risk governance. Disaster risk governance is another golden word that disaster scientists use very often. To be able to achieve good governance, you need to bring everybody at the same table, regardless of who they are, where they're from, what they do, whatsoever when it is for the good of the countries, for the communities, because we work for the communities in need. So there's a humanitarian dimension of it. So to be able to help and serve for the community, for their good, we need to bring everyone together. So be professional, act professional, and discuss on the table and solve, solve problems. Don't be a troublemaker, but being a problem solver is something good to manage multi-stakeholders. So when you're advising the Prime Minister, what are some of the things or the data or the, the understandings that you try to give the Prime Minister to make good decisions? Okay, we don't, we don't have a Prime Minister in Turkey now because the presidential system was brought into action back in 2018, the former Prime Minister of Turkey. So I'm trying to uh, support and update them with what's going on at national level and international level with climate change actions, how mm. the resilience policies was introduced, what UN, UNDRR 
United Nations Disaster Risk Reduction Agency does. Uh, so what, what are the international collaborations? How Turkey is responding to all these international activities? They, any, any disaster happens in Turkey, a flood, an avalanche, a rock fall, so I'm keeping up. And I'm trying to see what are the gaps, what are the strengths, what mm. are the challenges to reporting. What are the gaps? Yes, because we are here to make a change. And to be able to make a change, we need to identify the gaps and make it better, build, build back better. So about that, about gaps, where do you see that the gaps are in disaster response? Where does research need to focus? Okay, another good question. Thank you for um, asking that. Gaps can be, that depends on the country, socioeconomic indicators of the country, socio-demographic uh, situation of the country. There is not one, uh, one size fits all answer to that question. So that is geographic specific. For example, in Turkey, it is location specific. Within city in Ankara, it is neighborhood specific. So the gap, the main gap, what I observe is Number one, the use of data, okay, which has been in increase past two, three years, and especially UN. UN has a division. I was, I, I attended as a panelist for a forum beginning of June, organized by UN, where UN now uh, has the ambition and motivation to bring statisticians, mathematicians, and disaster people together to use data, disaster informatics, to make better and stronger policies. So for so number one can be the lack of data, okay? Lack of data, lack of quality data. People don't know how to use the data. So data collection, uh, there's a gap in disaster loss databases for some countries, not all of them. So as I said, it's a uh, country-specific condition. Some countries have super data, but they don't reflect it the policy. Some countries don't have enough data, but they have the field experience from a practitioner's perspective. So they, they use it, they survive on it. So there's no terminology. Uh, they use all the same language everywhere. So UN used to have, have a glossary, terms for disaster risk manager. Right. So I think yep. that is important as well. Mm, that's really good. Talking on the same line, meaning yeah. the same thing is important. Particularly when you've got those different stakeholders that you're trying to manage and bring together, but you're using a different vocabulary, or maybe yeah. the people don't actually have a vocabulary at all because they're from industry or business or community. And disaster mm -hmm. management is not actually their specialty. That must be yeah. challenging. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, I, I, I would like to mention here because we, we never name it natural disaster. Natural disasters happen, uh, natural hazards happen, but if there is no preparedness, prevention, mitigation strategies, then it turns into a disaster. So I'm one of the persons who claim no to natural disaster terminology. Disasters are unnatural events, but the, it is what is natural is the hazard itself, which turns into a disaster or not, depending on how good your infrastructure and build infrastructure is. Can I just clarify what you just said? There's no such thing as a natural disaster, but there's a natural hazard mm -hmm. which needs to be identified and prepared mm -hmm. for. Is that right? Yes, that's what I meant. So some some colleagues still use the term natural disaster, but there are, there are a group of scientists, disaster risk managers, which say no to natural disaster, but yes to natural hazard, man-made hazard, technological hazard, 
which turn into a disaster if no preparedness mechanisms or mitigation strategies are implemented. Wow. I've not heard that before. That's really good. So, Birchuk, when we're thinking about this and all the data, and you're a scientist and you look at the numbers, mm -hmm. do you accept or does the data support climate change and climate change is having an impact on natural hazards and the way that disasters happen? My first answer will be, as an individual, as a human being, yes. Okay, not as a statistical disaster, disaster scientist, climate change is there, and you don't need to literally collect data one by one, but it is obvious. So everybody talks about it, it wasn't used to be 10 years ago, it wasn't that, that hot five years ago, it wasn't that cold two years ago, and everything changes. For example, from Turkey, we never had a sandstorm in Ankara, but last year there was a heavy sandstorm in Ankara, like it was a desert, like nobody expected it, nobody experienced it before. So that we, we had a life loss uh, because of a tsunami back in October 2020, after a Sisam earthquake, which hit Izmir province in the Aegean coast. Nobody expected the sea rise, like this, this thing to happen. So there is data, there is data. Uh, climate, I'm not a climate change person, scientist, but not a geologist or climatologist, but uh, there, are, there are some colleagues who, who focuses on this, especially 100%, and there's data to, to prove that there is climate change. So I know that when I listen to the media at times, the argument might be that the temperature does have fluctuations, mm -hmm. but the temperature really hasn't changed. But it seems to be, it seems to be that the extremes of the disasters, the extremes of the tsunami or the sandstorm yeah. or the different types of weather and the, and the problems that that causes, the disasters that result, those are far more extreme, far more frequent and seem yeah. to happen in geographic areas where they shouldn't be happening because yeah. traditionally the climate is not like mm -hmm. that, doesn't support that. So do you yeah. think that that's, that's correct? I feel like it is correct because frequency is one of the terminologies statisticians use very often. We check the mode of a variable by checking its frequency. The mode, as a word, is the highest frequency in a data set. So frequency increases, severity increases as well. So there is definitely something going on. Did you say diversity? Uh, severity. 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 Yeah, severity. Right, severity. So frequency and severity is increasing. They're on the rise. So it should right. mean something. <laughs> should mean Definitely. something. Means something. Yeah. Right. With a simple, simple, very primitive glance. Just, just to wrap up, because I want to honour your time, and this has been really interesting. Birchak, if someone wants to do what you do, what would okay. you suggest that they do in terms of training or experiences? Okay, very good. Thank you. There are there are several um, now currently undergraduate masters and PhD programs in disaster risk management across across the world universities. So there is there is a room for research in several countries, Turkey, Japan, UK, New Zealand, United States, so Canada, 
uh, people can apply for these programs. There are several scholarships uh, that they can check and apply and uh, get scholarship. But, but I think it is the enthusiasm and motivation. If, if you want to really work on crisis response, emergency management, disaster risk management, I think you need to believe it with your heart. So if you really like it, you will, you will achieve it and uh, you will make a change in, in the human history. That, that's what I would recommend to my colleagues and friends. Like if you have the motivation to uh, stop to reduce the forest fires, if you want to co contribute to the uh, reduction of the life losses or economic losses or cultural protected cultural heritage from earthquake, for example, mm. then, mm. then you are on the right, right choice and correct path. I love it. I know that you said earlier on, this is the purpose of your life. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Now, disasters bring opportunity. Sometimes it's also say disasters bring opportunity. It brought, mm. to, it came to my life as an opportunity. So because I, I really have my job satisfaction. That's wonderful. Well, we can we can just only hope that everyone has the opportunity to find their purpose in yes, life. Hopefully. Yes, yes, yeah. it would be then great, perfect, perfect way of life. Well, Birchak, I really want to thank you for your time. Thanks for being with thank us you. and sharing your journey and also your understandings. And we look forward to having you back again sometime on the podcast. Thanks for being yes. with us. It's my pleasure. I'm so delighted that you, you reached out and hope you enjoyed.